back to another episode of the By Words Show. I'm so glad you're here. And I have my friend Abigail Ernesty here with us today. You guys, I just have to say, first of all, Abigail, I'm like your number one fan over here. I love what you do. And I think it's just so special the way you not only do the work, but you educate and you're just really out there providing so many helpful resources about human trafficking and even right here in DFW, which I think is just so cool. So for those who don't know you yet, would you just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your story? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Hannah. It's so fun to get to, literally, I was just saying, like, see each other's faces and chat for a little while. I love that because as the world's slowly opening up, I'm like, oh, there are conferences again. We get to hang out with people and talk about justice. This is, this is, my, this is a place I love to be. So, yeah. So I'm Abigail. And a little bit about my story is I grew up with missionary parents. So Grew up uh, around the world, mostly in East Africa and then in Chicago. And so I had kind of an understanding for probably earlier than a lot of people of what extreme poverty looked like, um, some of the realities of prostitution, and really kind of always had this base understanding that came from just being in the international world of these two things being connected. And I remember actually, I went on a field trip to a home for a home for girls. And so it wasn't really like an orphanage. It was more of like a community center where families would let their daughters go so that they would have opportunities like education and have like consistent healthcare and different things like that. And one of the women there was like explaining to us essentially what was survival sex. And so I wouldn't have had the language for that at the time, which essentially is just another word for prostitution. So another word of someone who is being sold in order to be able to have basic needs in their life, like food and shelter. So I learned about that. And I remember what stuck with me. She said it in very kid appropriate terms. I know it sounds like, well, that seems very young to, to explain this. But what stuck with me was that that shouldn't have to be anybody's reality um, just to be able to, to eat and have shelter and have a home. And so that was kind of like the first marking piece. And then I came back to the States. I was in high school, was living my life. Didn't really know what I wanted to do, but was still involved um, throughout my life with different sort of connections to social justice issues. And I ended up seeing a documentary on human trafficking called Nefarious, the Merchants of Souls. And it's actually on YouTube for free. So you can all go watch it whenever you want. And it basically just talks about the global commercial sex industry. And I remember I walked out of that documentary and I was like, my life has changed. Like, I can't continue to live the same way knowing that this is happening on the earth and not do something. I had no idea what to do. And it wasn't quite the same. I think in today's world, you Google human trafficking and you get a pretty good amount of suggestions on, or just maybe overwhelming suggestions actually, on the input of all the different things you can do. But back then it was like, how do I find information on this and where do I look? And especially when you were just finding out about it in a way that you're like, okay, I want to do something tangible. It was hard to find resources. But I started to just partner with local organizations right here in DFW. And I eventually um, went to college and I went to, during college, I took an internship, went to Southeast Asia. And that's really what kick-started my entire, you know, kind of understanding of, brothels and outreaches and all of that, which is really the intervention space in anti-trafficking. So I actually want to go back because I did skip a part. So before I went to college, I actually did go on a trip 
And that was kind of my initiation into the work. And so I, I was with in a small organization in Southeast Asia that does outreach to brothels and strip clubs. And so what that look like, looks like is really relationship building because like, right, nobody really like what it, you, you want to build a relationship with someone. You're not just coming, you're not just like running into, <laughs> running into places and being like, come with us. You know, it's not a situation. Although I will admit that like when I was going on this trip, that was partly in my brain. I was thinking like, is this, what are we going to do? And how is this all going to work out? And, and when I got there, it was really learned that it was so much more about creating a sustainable life that's outside of working in the commercial sex industry. So having job skills, life skills, and creating really just opportunities for people to heal if they wanted to. And so I learned about that. It was a really short time, three months. What ended up going back, doing some different work with children who had been exploited and trafficked. And so I started to to kind of develop this understanding of the commercial sex industry, both in the U.S. and abroad, and apply that education because I was like, I know I need to know what I'm doing here. And so really, it's just become uh, all the way up until today where I'm back in DFW, which is kind of cool. It feels sort of circular for me, where I'm just like, I want to, you know, take what I've learned and give it to other people. Because I know that sometimes it's so overwhelming. All the information on human trafficking, people don't know what to believe. They don't know what to do. And so I really try to break it down, make it simple, and try to demystify it so that we are all able to keep ourselves and our communities safer. I love that so much. And I I know what you mean. There's just there's so many resources, so many articles, so many statistics, just a lot of information out there. It's like, where do I even begin? I don't know what to do, but I don't even know how to find out what's going on in the world. Like, and, and I've experienced too, I've done some work in Greece and in France in red light districts and things like that. And it is just so different from what I expected. I feel like when I first heard about human trafficking, it was like taken, you know, and that very just sensationalized idea of trafficking, but to actually see it with my own eyes, it, you know, happening in broad daylight, just right there on the street was mind blowing to me. And I'm sure that you've heard some like crazy misconceptions and things like that, just like from the media and trafficking being portrayed, just, you know, really sensationalized and not really getting the real truth and the real idea of what's actually happening. Could you speak to that? Like, what is it really like? And are there even differences between what's happening overseas and in the States? So I think it's such a good question. And I think that there, there are going to be differences, but I think one thing that's always true about trafficking is that traffickers prey on vulnerability. And so wherever you have a vulnerable population of people, whether that's the refugee crisis we're seeing right now in the Ukraine, whether it's the foster care system here in the U.S., or whether it's like orphans that are in East Africa, there's going to be a, a, an easy in for exploitation. Um, because really, what do all humans need and want? It's to belong and to know that we're loved. And so oftentimes, that is the exact lie that traffickers present them with. And they sell them on the realities of a better life. And right, who doesn't want a better life? <laughs> we definitely all want a better life. So I think there are similarities, but there are cultural nuances at the same time, which is one of the things I think is what makes education so important is because as you're living in your community, when you get to know the signs of trafficking, then you can take that and think, okay, how does that apply to 
my life, to my community, to the areas around me, not to be scary or alarmist, but to be aware and to really be able to see the signs. Because I think that most people think that no one they know is buying sex. I think that's a huge misconception that people have, right? Because re- realistically, statistics say otherwise, that that the online ads that are often popping up on pornography websites are, are really real people that are escorts that are being sold by their traffickers daily. And so where I think we've seen this large movement toward awareness of child sex trafficking rings in a very specific tight and maybe elite Hollywood in the summer of 2020, most buyers don't look like that. Most buyers look like the average dude, the average dude. And I think that's uncomfortable for us because we are like, what is that? That puts us all at a level, I think, of discomfort because like you said when you're seeing it in another country and you're like what and it's right in front of you and it's on the street it suddenly makes you it changes the way you view everything you're seeing and so I think we're uncomfortable with thinking about that but I think one thing if if we did begin to see it around us and we didn't we didn't have uh, rose-colored glasses on and we did think to ourselves like oh if I click on this pop-up on this porn site or if I'm even watching pornography, who is that actually affecting? And 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 I think that would really change our thought process a lot. But I think another thing is that there's a huge narrative that prostitution is a choice too in today's world. Um, and I think that my friend Diana Bustos, who uh, she runs Sheer Love International. And they are an incredible organization that helps do job development. They have a barber school and um, a beauty school that they help train people in who are coming out of the commercial sex industry. I think that she has a great line. She says, if this was their choice, then what were their options? And I think that is such a good question because the reality, when we look at the statistics is most people who are trafficked as minors are trafficked as minors and they grow up to be adults. And so then I think the idea of like, okay, let's all just like pause and think about the decisions we made when we were like 14 and 15. And I think we all know that we were not really at the peak of our understanding of consequences and, or even just the emotional maturity to be able to make healthy decisions, which is normal. (laughs) That that is just being a preteen. And that has changed our thought process about what we define as choice. And I think just the reality of right, anyone who's coming from environments that are desensitized to violence in general um, in their home, they're growing up, um, or they don't have the proper resources for education, you know, consistent, all of those things affect the way that we think about ourselves, the way we think about our relationships and security. So I think that makes a huge, a huge, huge impact. Wow. All of that is so good and insightful because I remember when I first heard these things, it was so, I don't know, it just gives you such a fuller picture of what's actually happening and what to look out for. Because I've had conversations with people who are, you know, like scared to go out at night because they're afraid they're going to get kidnapped or, you know, really worried for their children's safety. And obviously we need to be careful with our children, internet safety, all of those things. But you mentioned looking for the signs and being aware of vulnerable people in our communities. Could you speak to some of that, like what it actually looks like? 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's always going to be different based on what community and what, you know, what community, what country you live in. I think that anytime you have, so right, we talked a little bit about who's at risk for trafficking. So, and being aware of that in your community, do you have, um, people in your community who have experienced historic oppression, discrimination, generational trauma? Um, Is there a large population of people of color? Because we know that the majority of people who are trafficked are people of color. Um, Is there a large population of LGBTQA folks? That could be who is vulnerable. But then when we think, start thinking about signs, it's like, okay, do those people have an unstable living condition? right? Have they experienced forms of violence in their life already? We see statistics that are high 90s of the people who are in strip clubs and and entering into the commercial sex industry have a a history of childhood sexual abuse or domestic violence. Um, Have they run away from home? Um, Are they in the juvenile justice system? Um, Are they undocumented immigrants? Uh, Are they already facing socioeconomic uncertainty? Um, Do they have maybe a a caregiver or a family member who has a substance abuse issue? This is especially what we look for when we are seeing children who are are potentially being exploited. And or do, do they have an addiction to drugs or alcohol? So those are just some of the signs that you could look for when you are determining if someone is vulnerable. But I think it's like sometimes in in western culture can be like okay i'm going down a list okay check okay check and we we start but more like that but really the biggest thing is building a relationship with someone right and getting to know them and getting to know their story because you're not going to know those signs um from just looking at a person <laughs> and you're going to have to know you might know you might know a few things but you're really going to have to um take risk and get out there in your neighborhood and community and make friends with people and start to learn who they are and learn their stories. That's so good because I, thinking back to what you were talking about earlier, I also had that idea when I was doing the work of, you know, we're just going to rush into the brothels and bring everybody out with us. And it's like, we really were even limited in what we could do in brothels because it is so crucial to have that element of trust because it's something that's been taken from them and taken advantage. And so I think that's such a good point. And um, maybe you can speak to this as well. Something I've thought a lot about is, you know, there's a lot of information coming out about human trafficking. There's a lot more awareness now than there was even a couple of years ago, which is amazing. Um, and there's also a lot of people who want to do something about it, but not everybody it, it needs to, or is called to work on the front lines. So how can we support or like maybe practical things we can do in day to day, or like even what you're doing with abolitionist collective, like how can we be involved in, in a way that really works for us and isn't like going to the extreme right away, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think there are some people like you might just, okay, I got to get up. I got to do something now. And I see people have that reaction. And I think that that's actually positive because you're having a response to injustice. And so I think that if you have that, you're compassionate at your core and you want to make a difference, which I love to see. But I agree. Um, I always say, okay, yes, how I started was doing outreach in red light districts and brothels, but that is not, I don't recommend that. That's what happened to me. I don't say. I don't think that that's really where people should start, especially in today's world when there are so many ways that you can get involved in your local community. So I think for starters, just starting to think about like, what do you consume? 
Like that's a really simple practical way. If you open up your cupboards and you think about, okay, where is the coffee that I'm buying from? Where's the chocolate that I'm putting in these chocolate chip cookies? Like where are my bananas from? Where's my sugar from? Like right coffee, chocolate, bananas are some of the biggest contributors to human trafficking in the world. And we oftentimes focus really specifically on sex trafficking, but there are so many, there are 25 different types of trafficking. You can go explore that on um, the Polaris Projects website if you'd like. It's really interesting. And I think it's enlightening to show us that what we consume or if we're wearing fast fashion, um, all of that contributes. And so just even thinking in your own, like, in our own lives, which bro, this was hard for me because I love I love clothes. So I was like, okay, how do I like how do I think about my wardrobe in a more sustainable way? How do I you know start looking specifically for fair trade um, and B Corp organizations to put in my pantry? And so just taking those little practical steps when we're at the grocery store or we're you know deciding what we're going to buy for summer <laughs> can be a really great way um, to start to really affect the needle because. The, the reality is like, right, supply and demand. So if we as the consumer change what we're purchasing, that actually creates a, a shift in demand, which does greatly affect um, the people who are potentially being exploited. That's so great. I'm really glad you touched on that because um, I would love for you, if you're able to just kind of expand on ethical, sustainable, B Corp, fair trade, like for those who aren't familiar, like I remember first hearing about those things and I was like, oh my goodness. You're telling me my coffee, my chocolate, like the clothes I'm wearing are could potentially be contributing to trafficking. And you guys may remember me. I can't remember if I said this on the podcast or if I said it somewhere else, but I read this book called Vulnerable. It's about human trafficking. And in the book, they were talking about this website, Your Slavery Footprint. And you can go and see like based on items in your home, just like all the things that could be contributing to trafficking. And it just it just really makes you take a second thought when you're purchasing those things. But anyway, back to my question, could you maybe speak to that for those who aren't familiar with those terms? Absolutely. I know I rattled that off. Like everyone knows. And I know that they, they all don't. They're like, I'm confused. Don't you're fine. I totally understand. So B Corp is basically a certification that they give to companies that's help is designed to say these people have decided they're going to be accountable to being transparent about their supply chains. Because the reality is we're like, okay, what do you mean my bananas? But it's like, it's like the supply chain of how did your bananas actually get to your local grocery store and end up there? Who was chopping them off the tree and, you know, put it, you know, putting the sticker on them and all of that. And was that person actually paid a living or a thriving wage? And so that is what the B Corp um, certification is really designed. And to say, like, we care about that. We care about making sure that the people who are creating the things that we are, be, that are being made, that they have a great life also. And so that's what B Corp means. Ethical is really highly disputed. I don't feel confident like defining that one as much, but I would say looking for the fair trade sticker is really helpful. Um, or the like the little logo that is on things, which I'm sure we can show you a picture of that. And, um, and, and also now I, I love that they actually changed it to where it's, it says fair trade. So it's pretty easy to see across products, but that that's on a lot of stuff now. It's really amazing. So I think one thing 
we're doing at the Abolitionist Collective is we actually made a 30-day allyship challenge. And so what it really is, is a one thing you can do every single day is super practical. And one of them is to like go and look at B Corp and see different organizations that are B Corp. One of them is to like show you the fair trade sticker so you can like look for it on your groceries um, and to do the slavery footprint thing because I actually did that for the first time like a couple months ago. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. But super eye-opening. So we would encourage you to go and download that on the Abolitionist Collective's website and just get familiar with ways that you could potentially, things that you could shift. I think sometimes we get overwhelmed and we're like, oh no, I didn't know. And it's okay. Like the more you know, and those taking those little steps, that is to me what, what making justice a lifestyle and doing it continually really looks like. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's why I love so much what you guys are doing at Abolitionist Collective. Just that word you said at the beginning, simplifying, because when we look at justice and all these injustices, human trafficking, it can seem so big, so overwhelming. Like, how could I possibly make a difference? But you're so right. It could be the simplest thing, just switching where you buy your clothes, learning about where your groceries are coming from. Like, like you said, supply and demand, all of these things really can make a difference. And I think that's just, it makes it so much more um, attainable, I feel like, to actually grow an impact without having to go and work in a red light district, which is so awesome. So you have to tell us about the Abolitionist Collective. It's amazing. Will you just please tell everyone about what it is, how you got started with it and what you do? Absolutely. So the Abolitionist Collective is a grassroots project that is really trying to educate people on how they can become a change maker in their community, which is really doing all the things that we just said. And we amplify the voices of survivors of trafficking and exploitation because one of the things that I felt like was transformative, and I bet you'd agree too, Hannah, because you've, you've done this work, is knowing real people. I mean, that for me is what really changed everything, is hearing survivor stories, listening to survivor stories, and then starting to think about, you know, when you listen to someone's story, you reverse engineer that in your, in your brain and you think, man, if somebody had said something that day when she was at the gas station, that day when she was sitting in class in elementary school, if somebody had, you know, maybe just taken the initiative and said something about that actually doesn't feel right. I think we are highly individualistic, particularly in the Western context. And we tend to think like, I'm just going to mind my business. And I'm like, okay, mind your business sometimes, sometimes they'll follow your gut um, and really start to ask questions. And intervene. And so we really try to educate people on how to do that in an ethical way to keep their communities safe from trafficking. We also partner with local organizations here in DFW to send survivors on healing and trauma-informed retreats so that they can dream again. Because the reality is um, exploitation and trafficking affect you for a lifetime. And so we just want to be a support system to survivors um, so that they can Take the time to heal because I think anyone who has, any of us who have spent any time in therapy or spent any time really dedicated rest, it can be very hard. And it's also not something that everyone has access to. So we really try to fill that gap. So it's really educating change makers, providing healing for survivors, and then also really being a part of amplifying survivors' voices in a global sense because we also feel like there's kind of a deficit of 
us having a global understanding from a survivor perspective on human trafficking. So we might kind of know a little bit about what it looks like over here or over here, but we don't really, we've, maybe never, we've never heard from a survivor who lives in an Eastern context. And maybe we have a heart to even go to go there, but maybe we don't. We're just really curious, like, what does exploitation and trafficking look like in your country? How can I support you since my dollars are going to go really far <laughs> um, over here? And so we think it's really important to start to bring that global picture together a little bit so that we all are collectively working toward that same goal, obviously, which is building a world where everyone is, is free. That is so amazing. I got chills when you were talking about that. It just pumps me up to see what you're doing and in, in our city. And it's just so amazing, the education, like I've mentioned before, but seriously, the resources that you've provided to make it so simple for people to be involved and become change makers is so awesome. And I, I love how you talk about how we can be allies. And I would just love to hear more about like that idea and, and how we can actually be better allies in this fight for justice. Yeah, I love that. So, I mean, I feel like how I've learned to be an ally is by like not being an amazing one. Like, you know, you le you learn from the mistakes you make and from the education that you didn't have. And so, I started thinking about, you know, how what 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 are the steps to how I got here? Because obviously I started by being thrown in the deep end and then I when I came up from air, I was kind of like, okay, I'm very disoriented, but also like this can't be the way that we were doing it. And so you're going to show up imperfectly, but I think if you can start with just learning, learning about what's happening in your community, um, you can call your local task force. You can ask, you know, who's around in the community? What's their reputation? In fact, I recommend that because we are inundated with so much information. Call, call and, and stay local. You know, really think about who's in my community, who's in my sphere of influence. And then I think really taking intentional action. So not just stopping it. Okay, I learned about it, but actually thinking, okay, what am I going to do? Am I going to organize a 5K and raise funds? Am I going to, maybe I can mentor a survivor. Um, um, maybe I have a, maybe you have a small business and you're like, hey, I could totally hire someone. I could get trauma informed. I could get that training and I could hire someone. That would be amazing. So I think that is huge. And then just being able to go the distance, you know, it's, it's a, it's a movement. It's not just going to be one singular moment. Um, it's really going to be taking the time to, say, okay, I'm part of a movement and this is the long game. And so how do I make this a sustainable choice in my life? I think that is a lot of what we've kind of already touched on, which is making justice a lifestyle and not just a trend. It's really cool to see the red X on everyone's hand. It's cool to see people wearing a blue shirt or, or just raising awareness. All of those things are important. I love it. I'm in awareness work, but for justice to be sustainable, it has to become a lifestyle for all of us. We have to think about it in that way. And so I think that's why it's important to, to start with that foundation of, I'm going to learn about this. <laughs> and which I would recommend to learn from survivors, you know, look up um, autobiographies by survivors, memoirs. Rachel Moran wrote a book paid for, which is amazing. Actually, Harvard says it's the best living work we have on prostitution, which is pretty incredible. And, you know, there's um, Scars and Stilettos by Harmony Grillo, which is about exploitation. Really important book also. Fallon by Annie Lobert. Um, So all of those are great resources where you can actually hear from survivors, listen to their voices. You can check out Nefarious. Um, you can also, there's a documentary. Oh my goodness, I'm going to forget what it's called. Very Young Girls. It's pretty old, 
y'all are gonna be watching it. You'll be like, this is an old documentary, but it's really good. It's really important. It's, it's, it's why I know. I know there's gonna be like Gen Zers on here who are gonna like get pull up that documentary and be like, you're old, girl. <laughs> like it's but it's before my time, but it's still it's from the '90s, '80s, maybe the '80s or '90s. I don't know. But um, if you can find it, I think it's really important. It, it helps set the foundation. Um, it's around. I think. I'm trying to think if it's it's connected to GEMS, which is Survivor, one of the first Survivor-led organizations, which is actually up in New York. So started by Rachel Lloyd. So really great tools to get involved in, learn more. Yes, do that. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing those resources. I feel like the more that you learn, like you said, the, the better understanding you have about like how sustainable it really can be to live justice as a lifestyle. I love that you said that because it really, I, I think about that sometimes too, how I, I just don't want it to be trendy. Like everyone's talking about it now, but like there's a real issue. There's a real fight going on. And I love that we can do really realistic things to make an impact. So thank you so much for that. Can you please tell everyone where to connect with you and the Abolitionist Collective from here? Absolutely. So you can go to, it is just www. www. Yes. I don't know why I, why I doubted myself because it is the World Wide Web, but the abolitionist, which abolitionist is A-B-O-L-I-T-I-O-N-I-S-T collective.com. So if you want to connect with us, you can message us on there. You can follow us on social media. We're just at the abolitionist collective. And you can also follow me. I am at Abigail Ernesty. My last name is E-E-R-N-I-S-S-E. So feel free to reach out. I know that sometimes it is overwhelming, but we try really hard to just simplify it, encourage people in their allyship. And we just, we value that. We we really believe that you are, every single person listening to this who cares is so capable of making small changes, of making impact in their community. And that is the number one thing that we hear from survivors would have made a difference is if somebody had just spoken up followed their gut and said something. And so just know that your voice is powerful and it has the it has the power to help shift the trajectory, not just of the awareness of your community, but potentially because of you talking about this and because of you being aware of the signs of actually shifting someone's the trajectory of someone's life. Thank you so much. That is so awesome. You guys definitely need to go follow Abigail, go follow Abolitionist Collective. Seriously, if you want more resources like this, she's just got so many things. And that guide, can you mention the name of that guide again? Yeah. So it is the 30-Day Allyship Challenge. So you'll see it on our website. It'll pop up and you can just click on that. And it's just something practical you can do every day. So we have things on there like looking up your local task force, um, how to contact you know your local senators and your lo- your local officials about what you want to see change in human trafficking. We make it super easy for you. We give you the little, we give you what to say and we give you just a little action item each day, but just 30 days to really start making justice a lifestyle. I love it. Well, guys go definitely grab that, follow her along. This is going to be so awesome for you to just have those resources, but thank you, Abigail, so much for your time and for sharing your story. It has been such a good conversation. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Hannah. I'm so thrilled that I got to be here and chat with you guys today. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to tune into another episode of the Byword Show. I love having you here and I'm so thankful for your support. Don't forget to share a screenshot of this episode to let me know you were here. I can't wait to talk again soon, but in the meantime, be sure to come hang out with me on Instagram and remember, I am cheering you on.